Could D. Eskridge be primed for a big sophomore season, or is another player going to emerge at the slot position for the Seahawks? I'll be breaking it down in our latest position-by-position depth chart review on our Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Riding solo on our Blue Friday episode. Plenty to unpack after the Seahawks' fifth OTA yesterday, including some comments from Shane Waldron, first time speaking with the media this offseason. Plus, I'll be answering your questions in our weekly mailbag segment and checking out slot receivers in our latest position-by-position depth chart review this episode is brought to you by blue nile make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. and locked on sports listeners get 50 dollars off purchases of 500 or more this podcast exclusive includes engagement use the code locked on at checkout at BlueNile.com. now for your lead story here on our blue friday edition of locked on seahawks for the first time this offseason offensive coordinator shane waldron met with the local media Following yesterday's fifth OTA session, we picked his brain on a number of different topics. The quarterback competition, trying to adjust to life without Russell Wilson, keeping the run game going after a strong finish to last season. And there were a number of topics to unpack yesterday if you were able to jump over the traditional coach speak and filler that you're going to get from offensive coordinators and coaches. As far as what stood out to me from Waldron's first appearance with the media this offseason, number one, the offense is light years ahead of last season for the Seahawks. They have full OTAs, players returning that are in command of the concepts, and Waldron had some interesting comments in that regard with Seattle having a normal offseason for the first time since 2019. First of all, it's a lot of fun just being out here and, and having all these guys out here and, and getting a chance to work with them every day. So you get a positive uh, start to everyone uh, from a relationship standpoint. We're actually in person with guys and getting a chance to, to talk with them day in and day out. And not just the X's and O's, but like I said, just developing that the human element of the game where you get to know the guys, get to know a little bit more about them as, as people. And, and I think that goes a long way when you get into training camp and have a chance to really talk with these guys. And then from a from a learning standpoint, you know, these guys have a chance, the guys that have been here for a year, you know, they don't have to relearn formations or know anything that's uh, new as far as the verbiage goes. And then it also helps out some of the new guys that are coming in where, you know, their teammates, everyone can help each other along. Uh, you know, different than the first year where everyone's learning on the fly. You can't understate how important it is for NFL teams right now to be able to have normal OTAs and mini camps. And again, this is fake football, as Pete Carroll has called it. Underwear Olympics, Clint Hurts verbiage, whatever you want to call it. It's not real football. They're not in pads. It's non-contact. But still, for an offensive coordinator like Shane Waldron, who had never been a play caller higher than the high school level going into last season with the Seahawks, these days are critical. He didn't have that luxury last season and not making excuses, but certainly that makes an already very difficult job that much tougher for somebody like Shane Waldron, especially when you're coming into a situation like he was with Russell Wilson under center. And regardless of what concepts Waldron wanted to bring to the table, 
Wilson's such a unique quarterback that it really hasn't mattered who's been the play caller. The offense is going to end up looking the same in terms of the type of formations, the way that they're going to distribute pass versus run, things of that nature, where the targets are going. The quarterback has such a direct impact on all of those things, particularly when you're talking about a player like Wilson, who's so different than most quarterbacks in the NFL. And so he's going into this season with somewhat of a clean slate and the ability to really expand on what he taught his players last year. Having a lot of these players returning is a big deal, as he mentioned. So I think first and foremost, that was the most important thing to take away from yesterday is that a lot of the players that were here last year, they are so much further ahead than what they were. And now they've got these OTAs to continue expanding their knowledge of the offense, get some new concepts in there. And it's helping the newcomers, players like Noah Fant and Drew Locke that are coming in, learning this new offense, having players that already have an in-depth background in this system is really a big deal. The second thing that really jumped out to me when you look at Shane Waldron's comments from yesterday the quarterback reps, this shouldn't be surprising to anybody that has been paying close attention to this or you've seen quarterback competitions in the NFL in general. They are going to be mixing and matching Geno Smith and Drew Locke with first and second teams for the rest of OTAs. And they've been doing that at other position groups as well. They're not going to be naming a starter right now. So for that reason, you can expect that over the next couple of weeks before they go into that moratorium period between OTAs and training camp, that they're going to be doing what they can at multiple position groups to just try to mix up guys, including at the quarterback position. And that allows you to be able to get used to your teammates. That's part of the reason that it's useful. And second, I mean, right now is really about learning more than anything, since it's not training camp or real football by any means. You're wanting to get those mental reps in. And so they're going to be mixing and matching. They're doing that in a lot of different position groups, some more so than others. And so Drew Locke and Geno Smith, even Jacob Eason, they've been getting those reps in. Along the offensive line, you've got two rookies that you invested top draft picks in, in Charles Cross and Abe Lucas. But there's been some concern from fans and from people in media, analysts, about starting a pair of rookies in the NFL, especially in this division, when you've got players like Nick Bosa in San Francisco, the Rams, all the weapons they've got that can rush the passer. The Cardinals have some talented young guys that can get after the quarterback. This is not an easy division to throw tackles into the fire. And yet Shane Waldron doesn't really have concerns about that because if those two players end up winning the jobs, by the time they get to the first game, as he quote unquote said, the best guys are playing They'll have earned those positions. To me, that's the best way to look at this because you're going to have Stone Forsythe and Jake Curran coming back in their second seasons. Curran started five games a year ago. Forsythe had 14 snaps total in offense. So it's not like those two players have played a ton of snaps in the NFL themselves. This is a very young position group. So they're going to have those four players competing for those two spots. I think Charles Cross has got the starting job at left tackle, not it up. Pete Carroll is not going to say that. They're not going to just give him the job, but he's already getting all the first team reps. That's where he's going to be. He's going to be starting at left tackle in week one. Unless there's an injury, he is going to be the guy. Right tackle, as we've talked about time and time again in this podcast, that's truly a 50-50 proposition because Curhan did start five games last year. There are some questions about Lucas in terms of his pro readiness in the run game. He's going to get a chance to answer those questions when they put on the pads, but it's really tough to evaluate 
these players along the offensive line right now, more so than any position group, because they really can't do anything other than show you their lateral mobility, their athleticism. They can't block. They're not doing any of that type of stuff until we get to training camp. But once that time comes, if Lucas and Cross both prove they are the two best tackles, then Shane Waldron's going to be fine. He's going to be comfortable with that because they earned the positions. And building off of that, looking at the run game, last year the Seahawks were able to finish the season strong. They won their last two games. They had a couple of nice victories late in the season where they were able to rack up running yards. And Rashad Penny was such a key part of that. But the offensive line opening up holes Everything was working as a cohesive unit. You had receivers blocking in the outside. There was a run in the Texans game that Penny broke for a touchdown that was sprung by D. Eskridge making a block from the slot position. So putting all those pieces together, that is really a main focal point for Shane Waldron going into his second season as coordinator. He wants to carry over that momentum that the Seahawks built last year, running the ball the way they did the last five or six games whether it's Penny having Ken Walker the third in there, if Chris Carson's back, he wants to maintain that run game where the offensive line is opening up holes, the receivers and the tight ends are actively involved in creating blocks and opening up space for running backs to operate. He wants all 11 players to be involved in that and make this a balanced offense where the play action works off it. It complements their passing attack. So he wants to continue what they had those last five games, and that's something that they're going to be emphasizing. Again, right now you can't really evaluate the run game during OTAs and mini camps. You're going to have to wait till training camp, but that is one of their top goals. They want to be able to support their new quarterback, whoever wins the starting job in August. They want to support that player with a strong running game like the one they had late last season, and that gives this offense the best chance to be effective and efficient moving into the post-Russell Wilson era in 2022. Coming up next, I'm going to be tackling your questions in our weekly mailbag segment. Tons of questions from the 12s on Seahawks, NFL, and other topics. I'll be answering as many as I can coming up next. At BlueNile.com, you can celebrate all of life's special moments from creating the custom engagement ring of your dreams to gifting a classic and timeless jewelry piece, all at prices you won't find at a traditional jeweler. Whether you're ready to pop the question or you're celebrating a milestone moment, find jewelry as unique as her with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. Build the engagement ring of her dreams or celebrate life's special moments with fine jewelry. No matter what you're looking for, Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7. Make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com and Locked On Sports listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement. Use the code Locked On. Again, that's the code Locked On. Every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. So you can shop stress-free and find your forever piece. Go to BlueNile.com today. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And we have an important favor to ask all of you, our wonderful listeners. We've put together a survey so we can learn more about our listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcast even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On podcasts. So go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes a survey qualifies for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards to take our audience survey. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thanks for your help. 
Since it's Blue Friday, it's time for our weekly mailbag segment. Tons of questions from you, the 12s. So let's get to it. Our first one coming from Tori tweets, what do you miss most about coaching? Is that something you'd have interest in doing again at some point? Thanks for the question, Tori. I, I loved coaching and I coached running backs at the high school level for six years, five years in Indiana, one year out here in the state of Washington at Mount Si High School. Congratulations to head coach Charlie Canoon for retirement as well, one of the best coaches in Washington State history. And I truly believe in 2020, if not for COVID, they would have won a state championship. That team was loaded, but I digress. As far as my, you know, what I miss most about coaching, it's working with the players, hands down. So many great experiences, you know, working with young people, especially when I was coaching in Indianapolis, I had some players that came from really tough backgrounds that were on our roster that were in my position group coaching running backs. And I coached JV where I was able to work with some younger players at other positions as well. And just being able to provide an outlet for them to be successful and and take that confidence into other areas of their lives. That was something that I really loved. I, I cherished going on the practice field every day and being able to work with kids. That was number one reason that I loved coaching. And as far as whether or not I'd have interest in doing it again, I'm actually going to be coaching at Tyler Lockett's camp on Saturday. Those are the type of things that I still occasionally do. I, I like to volunteer my time be involved with coaching kids when I can. Since I'm not in the classroom, you know, the time just isn't necessarily there for me to have a coaching gig. Maybe at some point I could have a part-time job where I come in and work with running backs for school for a couple of days a week. And I would love that. Um, but, you know, I, I'm pretty happy where I'm at with my current job. So I don't know necessarily, at least at this point, that I'll ever go back to full-time coaching, but it's something that I certainly enjoy. And, you know, having the opportunity to be able to coach at camps is something that, you know, fills that void a little bit to be able to work with young people. So I, I would never say never. Certainly it could be something down the road that I do and I enjoyed it, but uh, really love the things that I'm doing nowadays. This is really what my dream job was. Brad tweets, why haven't we offered KJ Wright a coaching spot? He clearly wants to be around the team, even if they don't want him as a player anymore. What gives? So I think that you have to consider everybody that's asked about this and maybe KJ down the road will want to be a coach and he'll want to be involved. But the time commitment that coaches put in at the facility is just as bad, if not worse, than what players are putting in. It's an incredible time commitment. And that's even as a high school coach, I was just talking about the number of hours that you spend watching film and trying to prep for games and things like that along with the practices five days a week, like those type of things, it eats up your time. It's an incredible investment. And the NFL is just a different animal in that regard. The number of hours that these coaches put in. So a lot of times when players are done playing, they don't want to jump right into being a coach after being out of the league for a few years. That interest may spike some and they may want to get back into it and they'll be willing to take on that investment. But Somebody like K.J. Wright that's got young children, that's maybe not what he wants to do at this point. That doesn't mean he doesn't want to come out and watch practice occasionally or maybe have some type of a role with the organization. But it looks like he could have a really bright future ahead of him in broadcasting or as an analyst if he wants to do that. He's been getting his feet wet, doing some live shows with NFL Network recently. So that may be the route that he chooses to go. He's going to have his options I just don't know this is all in the Seahawks. They may have interest bringing him in as an assistant coach, and it's got to be mutual. If he doesn't want to do that, then certainly 
they can't force him to join the coaching staff. So it takes two to tango, and I don't know that that's something that KJ right now wants to do because of the time investment. Metro Yo-Yo tweets, if the Seahawks make the playoffs, will Pete Carroll finally win Coach of the Year? I would think if this Seahawks team, Russell Wilson being gone, Bobby Wagner being gone, finds a way to get to the postseason, then it should be a slam dunk for Pete Carroll to finally get that Coach of the Year. If he ends up getting nine, ten-plus wins out of this group, given the turnover, the questions at quarterback, the youth on this roster, the division that they play in, if he's able to do that, then it would be a slam dunk. It'd be a huge upset if he is not named coach of the year in that case. So this would be a prime opportunity for him to really show off his coaching chops if he can get this team to the postseason. Steve Stank tweets, are we at a 2012 position with this current team? And so this is a question that Rob and I kind of looked at throughout the draft process because I think there are some similarities when you look at the draft picks that they had the needs on the roster. But I still think that right now is is much more similar to 2011. I don't know that this team is going to be ready to contend right now, especially with the quarterback situation. I think that the quarterback situation right now is probably pretty similar to when they had Tavares Jackson as the starter in 2011. He played through an injury and the leadership he provided was not going to be the long-term answer under center. But he played better, I think, than a lot of fans anticipated. And they had some really fun young guys on that team. Richard Sherman was a rookie. Cam Chancellor was only in his second season. Earl Thomas was only in his second season. A lot of those members of that vaunted Legion of Boom defense were just entering the league at that point. So there was a lot of really intriguing young talent. And this year's draft class for the Seahawks maybe is going to have some guys that fit that bill for their next contender. So I think this is closer to being a 2011 team than 2012. From that sense, I could see next year being the year they go get their quarterback and they're going to have a bunch of draft picks, four picks in the first and second round where they can really be in that 2012 position where a really strong draft can get them right back into the playoff hunt and put them in position to be a Super Bowl contender again a few years down the road. Idaho Highlander tweets, do you expect any additional free agent signings Nothing noteworthy, I think, at this point. Where the Seahawks are at, if they were still in a title window and Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner were still in the Pacific Northwest, I could see somebody like maybe Indomitian Sue, who's still a free agent. A guy that I think still can offer you something as a rotational defensive lineman. Those type of players maybe would be considered, but given the fact that the Seahawks are in a rebuild, I know Pete Carroll and John Schneider hate that word, but that's what they are in. It might be a minor rebuild. They might be more competitive than anticipated this year, but it's a rebuild. And with that, I just don't see them signing any big name free agents, aging veterans to supplement this roster. The only thing I would anticipate any moves from here on out are going to be your typical end of the roster shuffling that every team partakes in this time of year. CJ Max tweets, what would an LJ Collier Ugo Amadi trade look like? Well, right now you might be able to get a late round pick like a seventh rounder for Ugo Amadi. LJ Collier's got to prove that he's worth something. Unfortunately, when you're a healthy scratch for seven games as a first round pick, that doesn't look well, you know, that doesn't look good. There were a number of reports out there that the Seahawks were trying to move him before the trade deadline and there weren't any takers out there for him. So if they're going to have to move one of these guys, most likely it's going to be cutting them in training camp. I don't see any trade when teams are trying to cut down to 53-man rosters. I can't see a team 
giving up draft capital for either one. If they were going to, I would think Amadi with his positional versatility. The fact that he's been more productive in game action than what Collier has in their first three seasons comparison-wise, he would be the one you might be able to fetch a seventh-round pick from a team if they're that desperate in the secondary. And the last question here from Phil Leidick tweets, how often do you expect the second inside linebacker on the field this year, and does it look like Coleman is in the lead for that nickel spot? Answering that second part of the question, I think it's way too early to have any idea who the leader is at that nickel spot. Coleman has been working with the first team during OTAs. You can take that with a big grain of salt, though. Marquise Blair is yet to be on the field. I would expect when he returns that this is going to be a very competitive position with Blair, Amadi, and Coleman all getting looks at that nickel spot, bringing different skill sets and talents to the table. So Coleman's going to go into this with a good chance to be the guy because he was really good for two years in the slot for Seattle before he left in free agency. He's played in this defense, even if it's a different defense now than what it was under Ken Norton Jr. And before that, Chris Richard, he has played in this defense. The coverages, for the most part, are going to be similar to what they used to do when he was here the first time. But he's going to have competition. There's no given that he's the starter there. So I, I would be hesitant to say that he's out front in that regard. As far as two linebacker sets, you're still going to have those two guys on the field when you're running nickel packages I think that Cody Barton's going to play a lot of snaps this year. Jordan Brooks is going to be on the field pretty much every play like Bobby Wagner was for the past decade. But I expect that Cody Barton's going to be out there a lot. What they're going to end up doing is players like Daryl Taylor, Boye Mafe, Uchenna Nwosu, they're going to drop down into defensive end positions when they're in nickel. They'll have four-man fronts as they've done throughout the Pete Carroll era, and they'll have those players rushing as edge defensive ends and still have two linebackers on the field. Cody Barton's too good in coverage not to have him out there. And Jordan Brooks, again, he's Bobby Wagner now. He's your 100% of the snaps guy in the middle. So I expect both of those players are going to be on the field for the bulk of the snaps for the Seahawks, even if they are in nickel packages. Coming up next, I'm going to look at the slot receiver position. Yesterday, Rob Rang and I looked at outside receivers, the X and Z positions. Which players stand out at the Y spot? I'm going to be breaking it down on our latest position-by-position position depth chart review. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting, stats, and sports informational needs. Find all the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including this year's NBA Finals, the NHL Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball, and, of course, all the latest fighting news from MMA and UFC to boxing. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and waging informational needs, including live betting, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. And as always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Continuing our multi-part series here, position-by-position position depth chart review. Yesterday, Rob Rang and I moved out to the receiver position, and as typically this time of year, the Seahawks have a ton of receivers on the roster, more than what we could cover in one episode. So we looked at the outside receivers, the X and Z positions yesterday. Today, going to slide inside to the slot position, and the Seahawks invested a second-round pick in the 2021 draft on D. Eskridge out of Western Michigan, believing that he was going to be an immediate weapon 
out of the slot. A different skill set than DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. This is a guy with a powerful lower body, can break tackles, can make guys miss. A yards after catch monster or a yak monster, if you want it in short. They never really got a chance to see that come to fruition last year because of injuries. He missed seven games due to a concussion early on in the year. He had a toe injury that cost him most of training camp as well. Really set him back in his first season. You started to see some signs of what he was capable of during the second half of the season. Had a big game against the 49ers in week 13. Scored his first and only touchdown of the year in that game. Had a couple other big catches that picked up first downs. But we didn't get to see him on special teams. We didn't get to see very many opportunities with the football in his hands. The jet sweeps they were running with him became predictable. With that being said, I think that right now, D. Eskridge has got to be number one on the depth chart. Seattle's going to be going into this process hoping, keeping their fingers crossed, that the electric playmaker can really jump out in year number two when he can stay healthy. I think he's looked really good during these OTA sessions. And again, thing that you have to keep in mind with OTAs. It's not real football. But I think there's more that you can glean from receivers than other positions. You can see the athleticism. You can see the route running. You can see the soft hands. And D. Eskridge has made some nice catches so far during OTA. So he's the projected starter, in my opinion. I think that Freddie Swain is going to be in the mix there. There could be a bit of a competition there. Freddie Swain last year doubled all of his numbers from his rookie season. That's going to be an interesting competition to watch. But I would think Seattle going into this process is hoping that D. Eskridge is going to rise up, show off that 4-3 speed, his playmaking ability in the preseason training camp, and he is going to win this job outright. Freddie Swain is still going to have a role as your number four receiver, but they want the second-round pick from two years ago to show why they picked him that high. And he's going to contribute on special teams some as well. Looking at wild cards here, to me, the wild card at the slot position, I thought about mentioning Freddie Swain just because he's been reliable. He improved last year, but Freddie Swain has been their number three receiver really for large portions of the last two seasons. So I don't necessarily consider him a wild card at this point. He's a guy that fans know he's put up some decent numbers given limited opportunities. I think the wild card of this position is their latest draft pick in the slot, and that's Bo Melton, the player that Jim Nagy earlier this week on our podcast called Seattle's Steal of the Draft. Thought he was going to be a fourth or fifth round pick coming out of Rutgers. 4-3-4 speed at 5'11", 185 pounds. Not a big receiver, but he's got some of the same traits that D. Eskridge brings to the table. This is a player that can create after the catch like a running back. You can move him all over the formation. He's played some snaps out of the backfield. He's played on the outside. He's returned kicks. He showed at the senior bowl he's a better route runner than advertised. Rutgers didn't ask him to run that many different types of routes. Their route tree was not sophisticated. They didn't have the quarterbacks to be able to get the football to him consistently and lead him. So his numbers weren't great either. So there are a number of factors, I think, that went into play that caused him to fall to the seventh round. But this is a kid that has dynamic speed, he ran a 6-8-1-3 cone, too, so he's got good change of direction skills, 38-inch vertical. He's just really athletic. You didn't always see that pop off on tape at Rutgers, but I think a lot of it had to do with the circumstances, who was throwing in the football, the offense that he was in. He's going to have an opportunity in camp, at least on special teams, to make a name for himself, and I can see what the speed he brings to the table and his yak ability, being a player that 
potentially works his way into a three-way competition with D. Eskridge and Freddie Swain in the slot. I don't know that he's going to be able to get very many opportunities to play on offense as a rookie. He's got the athletic ability. He's got the playmaking ability to be a really fascinating player at that position. As far as sleepers, maybe players that are under the radar, I'm going to go back to a guy a year ago I was a bit disappointed how things played out for Kate Johnson because coming out of South Dakota State, this is a player that had really impressive practices at the Senior Bowl. Not the greatest athlete. Had a subpar day testing-wise athletically, but some of that had to do with the fact he was nursing a minor soft tissue injury. You look at the production of South Dakota State, scored almost 30 touchdowns as a receiver, one of the best wideouts in the country at that level. And he's such a savvy route runner working out of the slot. So I thought last year that he was going to potentially push for a roster spot. And that never really came to fruition. He started to figure things out a little bit late in the preseason. But by that point, he wasn't going to make the roster. They actually cut him off the practice squad briefly before re-signing him. So things didn't work out quite how I envisioned. But I still look at this kid's route running ability, his soft hands, the production that he has had at the college level, his football IQ, there are things that still jump out to me that suggest that maybe he could make this a bit more interesting in terms of trying to battle for one of those last roster spots. Right now, he'd be on the outside looking in, but he is the sleeper out of this group of six players to keep a close eye on because he brings a number of traits to the table that play well out of the slot. He's got some special teams versatility as well. So this would be a player that I would monitor closely during training camp of the preseason. If he's able to really break out of those preseason games, might be a guy that can sneak his way into the roster the way Penny Hart has the last couple of seasons. And as far as bubble players, the biggest bubble player at this position for the Seahawks is Aaron Fuller. He's been with the roster the last two years, mostly on the practice squad. Did get to dress for a few games last year. Former University of Washington standout is at his best running routes from the slot. Maybe not the most athletic guy, but again, another player that brings some route running savvy to the equation. You can run the football with him, has played special teams, and he's a player that the coaching staff seems to be fond of. So, he could be another one that maybe year three proves to be the charm after being mostly a practice squad player the last two years. He's had pretty good production in these OTA practices, made some nice catches. If that can carry over in the training camp of the preseason, he's another player that might be on that 50-50 line that has a chance to be a surprise and maybe push for one of those last roster spots at the receiver position. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and five days a week streaming on YouTube. Coming up on Monday, Rob Rang will be rejoining me, and the two of us are going to preview mandatory minicamp. The Seahawks having their three-day minicamp in the middle of next week. We'll be previewing on the offensive and defensive side of the football. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.